Welcome to the Dear Doc Podcast, where we will discuss the business of running a dental practice with a panel of experts. Now, your host, Dr. Christopher Hoffpower. Hey folks, this is Dr. Huffpower and I'm coming to you from my home studio here in Alvin, Texas. Uh, for those of you who are on the video podcast, the Dear Doc podcast, you can see that my guest today is once again, Paul Edwards from Cedar Solutions. Now, Paul is an expert in eight, all things HR and also in associate contracts. And so today we're going to cover a, another Dear Doc letter that we received. And I'm going to go ahead and read that to you, Paul. I know you have a copy of this. Dear Doc, I have an RDA that has worked for me for six years. She's worked her butt off and is now my clinical coordinator in charge of all back office business. She's enrolled in an EF2 program, expanded, fun expanded function dental assistant. She can place fillings, take impressions, root canals, do hygiene exams, and cement final restorations. That starts next week. I offered to loan her the money for the tuition because they didn't offer financing. She signed a promissory note to pay 5.5% interest only payments during school and upon graduation to pay back the principal over two years deducted from the wages as an EF2. I plucked her out of RDA school so she's only ever worked for me and has demonstrated tremendous loyalty. Has anyone ever made an arrangement like this? Has it backfired or blown up in any way? I already utilized one EF2 assistant and it's a great fit for my practice. Thanks. Well, folks, as cool as this is, and as much as I love the fact that this doctor is growing his team, unfortunately, there's some shortfalls in the way that he's doing it. Paul, can you walk us through that? Well, first of all, you know, the expanded function makes total sense. And, you, you know, and it also almost always requires, you know, some greater amount of education, certification, what needs to be done. So this problem comes up all the time across the country in all of our practices. You know, it, it's, it's a very common thing. What, what triggered my kind of spidey senses in HR um, was the arrangement that he's made with this employee. Um, and it is that there's been a loan created and that there's some cross-pollination going on here because the loan is also mixed into the work relationship. And I, what they're doing is making a deduction, which she has agreed to uh, from her. Yeah. I, so, I worry personally about the income tax um, portions of this and that yep. they weren't going to be paying her FICO or anything like that. That really kind of frightened me. Well, and we would have to know whether or not they were doing it pre-tax or, or post-tax. Post we would hope that they were doing it post-tax. Um, um, but nonetheless, some states will not allow this. So Chris, as we've talked about before, because we do employee handbooks for all of our practices and we custom craft them and we want them to be guides for people to be able to follow um, we would identify whether or not this person can even do this in their state. So Absolutely. several states have rules about what you can deduct from an employee's paycheck. And several of those states say you can't do this. You cannot um, loan them money for them to go out and take education and then take that money back uh, from them in their paycheck. You could, in all circumstances, strike an agreement with any individual, including one of your employees, which is a loan. And that's, to me, the best way to handle that is that's what you do. You become their creditor 
you loan that money to them. They sign a promissory note of which I can't, uh, you know, we're in HR, so we don't, we don't do that sort of thing. You sign a promissory note with them, and then they write you a check each and every time they get paid, just like they would pay any creditor. That would be the safest way to cover this. The other thing here is you want to be very careful about putting loans in place with employees, no matter how you're looking at this, whether or not this is a treatment plan. Like, you know, I put braces on my, on my new employee and now she's walked out the door. What do I do about getting that money back? Well, there's a letter about that, isn't there? There is a letter about that. And these kind of, do you want to, do you want to piggyback that one on this one? I think we could talk about that because I think they're kind of the same principle and kind of the same thing. Um, So, you know, first and foremost, got to be careful because one office might actually be able to do this, what we're talking about in their state and the, the, the state right next door, dentist in one of those um, states can't, can't do it, can't do it legally. So you always want to make sure that you understand, you know, what, you know, what it is that you're allowed to do. Here's the other thing for everybody to just kind of put a pen in is that what if they quit and they still owe you say, two thousand dollars or or some amount of money well you can't deduct it you can't wipe out their final paycheck is what i'm saying even if they agree to it it's against federal law you can only deduct the amount up to what would result in them being paid minimum wage so if they had a paycheck coming for eight hundred dollars and they worked 40 hours You'd have to know what minimum wage is in your state and make sure they get paid at least that amount. And then you could take the balance if you could even do that at all, Chris. So, Paul, I'm going to read that second letter now, if you don't mind. And then we can talk about both of these. Sure. Dear Doc, I need some advice. My assistant got braces for me after completing her 90 days probation, period. The employee manual says that dentistry covered after those 90 days is free. It's been almost three months since she had braces and she gave me her two weeks notice. She doesn't like dentistry and she took a job as a nurse and a nurse's assistant. Insurance is involved. How can I address this? My mistake for not having her sign any contract in regards to this is a lesson, but how do I get out of this situation? Okay. So again, every single state's going to be a little different here, but the general, the best way to approach this is you have a policy about it. And that policy says what happens when there's a breakup, by the way, Chris, associate agreements, those are about the breakup. They're about the, the misunderstandings. All contracts, they, you know, they're about the breakup. So It's a prenup. It is a prenup. No, it really is a prenup. Um, and so back to this employee, this, this person who's leaving, um, it, it, we, we write these all the time. Different doctors are generous in different ways. There's almost always a getting acquainted period. By the way, use of the word probationary is a very, very bad word. It's a legal term of art. It means something else. If you have it in your handbook, try to stop using it. Just getting acquainted is fine. So there's almost always a getting acquainted period or a period before which you may um, um, avail yourselves of a benefit. So once that happens, one of the best things to do is to cap the benefit. So you can get up to, say, $2,000 worth of, of, of uh, uh, treatment. Oftentimes, it's um, um, spread out to, you know, for you and immediate family members. And then we define who immediate family members are. By the way, we're very careful. We look at some of the state laws about 
what that means. Absolutely. And, and I have a follow-up question to this once, you're, once you've said your piece on it, because something just occurred to me. Okay. And then the next component to this is what happens if you terminate your relationship with us? Um, and we need to address two things there. One is, is that they then, you then become their creditor and they are supposed to pay you just like they were, um, you know, going to pay, would pay you if they weren't uh, uh, someone there with a benefit. Right. Um, and then the, the other thing is, is that they're your patient. And we, we address this in our term letters and no one else does this for some reason. You just had somebody working for you who's your patient and you just let them go and you didn't, you didn't even think about patient your, your patient abandonment issues. And so we always address those in the termination letter and, and they have to be addressed different ways. I mean, I caught you stealing. I'll be happy to work on your, your, your teeth. It's not really, you know, something's going to work right. out. You know, we're going to miss you. We're glad you found a better job. We'd still love to treat you and your family. That's a different conversation. Absolutely. So, you know, those are the things that come up for me. The, the other thing that comes up for me in these loan programs, um, going back to our first letter, is it can really be a problem when it comes to at-will employment. Because right. an employee can make a claim, and this and a few other instances, that they did not follow a policy, a very important policy, um, generally a concern reporting policy, because they were afraid that if they did, they would lose their job and they owed you all this money and you would try to take this money from them. Right. And they couldn't afford to pay you all the money they owed you right now. And by the way, Chris, it's a good argument. It's, it's, it is a good argument. So I want you to be very careful and intentional with your Yet again, protecting under the whistleblower acts. Well, there's, yeah, there's something there. I, it's, it may not be a whistleblower, but it's, it's, um, you want your employees, your, one of your affirmative defenses, Chris, is you had a policy in place, for example, that said that if you feel that you're being harassed, let me expand this. If you're in one of my satellite offices and you think one of my associates is being a, 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 a butthead and harassing you, your right. first obligation is to tell me as soon as it occurs and tell me now so I can do something about it. So I've just paraphrased what, how that paragraph comes out. Oh. So when you make it an obligation and they don't do it, that's actually dereliction of duty. Ding, ding, ding. It's not dereliction of duty. It's a hard thing to explain in front of a jury why you didn't tell somebody about this. Why are you suing for a million dollars and telling us this had been going on for a year? Right. This didn't come up until we fired you. Especially since it's in the, in, in the employee manual that this is a requirement of your employment that you do this. So in reality, you weren't doing your job. So I can do this 150 ways inside your employee handbook from wages to uh, uh, safety to all sorts of things. I can shift the burden over to the employee and it's actually good for the employees. So this is one of the ways we explain to employees, this is good for you. This is for you. I love it. So my, my question that came up was, um, what are the tax liabilities involved whenever you give employees free treatment? because you are giving them value, which could be construed as income. Okay, so I am not a CPA, but I am gonna to speak to this because I have 35 employees, Chris. Everybody have 35 employees, got all the problems you got. I'm, I'm just a little better at it, and I have a good HR team here. You better. Um, I'm looking at the tax change, the laws that were just changed here in the past couple of, uh, past year, past few months. Right. And they really shifted and made it so that if I provided meals for my employees, which I do all the time, mm -hmm. that is supposed to be reported as income. Um, 
So what you bring up is part of that change. And if you are doing these things for your employees and providing for benefits, the letter of the law now says that you're supposed to report it as income and that you're supposed to withhold uh, taxes, pay your matching taxes. And if I'm not mistaken, training as well. Um, well, if you, if you have employees, we can do a whole podcast on training pay. So we can let's talk do, about training pay and we could, and we could uh, also talk about what your obligations are around tra- uh, paying people when they're going to seminars and stuff. We're like almost that. out of time for this small segment because this is going to yeah. be a 15 minute one. Um, but, um, I'll tell you one of the things that I'd really like to get down to is the nitty gritty of hiring and firing. I've got some real specific ideas on my part about how you protect yourself from having to pay unemployment claims. Uh, right. And I, I'd love to hear you shoot them down because it'll only make me smarter. I would love to shoot your ideas down, Chris. Thank you. That's just because you're a damn drummer. It's, yeah, well, it's not my fault that you just decided to play guitar, Chris. <laughs> All right, guys, you have a fantastic day. And uh, thank you for wasting another half hour listening to me babble on. I hope you found some value in this. And um, I hope you take away uh, a little bit of knowledge that'll help you out. Thanks for listening to the Dear Welcome to the Dear Doc Podcast, where we will discuss the business of running a dental practice with a panel of experts. Now, your host, Dr. Christopher Hoffpower. Dear Doc Podcast, your source for the business and legal questions associated with your dental practice. Don't forget to subscribe to the Dear Doc Podcast on all major platforms.